The Tablet Show, episode 87, with guest Colin Bowern. Recorded live Tuesday, May 28th, 2013. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Colin Bauer about his experiences developing web applications in the enterprise. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thanks very much, and welcome back to The Tablet Show. It's Carl and Richard, and we're at DevTeach. We're in uh, some hotel somewhere in Mississauga. We're finally together again, actually, after all those crazy shows we recorded for Romania. But uh, yeah, it's good to be here at the Delta Meadowvale. We're at DevTeach. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we're here with Colin Bowern, but we'll talk to him in a minute. Uh, first, let's get started with Better Know Framework. All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, I went looking for some HTML5 stuff, and I just stumbled across. You know, I always look for really good, concise examples with source code that you could sit down and do in less than an hour and actually do something. And so I found at uh, script-tutorials.com, if you actually go to tinyurl.com slash HTML5 canvas FX, that's the letter F and the letter X, not FX, uh, it takes you to this really cool example to create an unbelievable HTML5 Canvas app for online image enhancements. And what, what I mean by image enhancements is you can load up, it loads up an image, and then you can grayscale it, and you can adjust the brightness and contrast, and you can uh, change the level of red, green, and blue, uh, or decrease the level of red, green, and blue. And it's just kind of cool to see that in a browser. And all the codes just listed out here, right? A chunk of... Uh of uh, HTML and a chunk of CSS and a chunk of JavaScript. It's pretty simple. I just appreciate, you know, HTML5 can be very overwhelming. There's so much stuff in it. Right. And it's really cool just to find these little nuggets that you can knock out in an hour. It's awesome, dude. I love it. Yep. So there you go. Know it, learn it, love it. Richard, who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off of show 80, and that's the one we did with Chris Love, talking about the Surface Pro and mobile development and such. And this comment comes from John Slabby, who says, hey, I listened to show 80, and it prompted me to weigh in on my own Surface experiences so far. I'm an RT user, and it's my Surface of choice for a number of reasons. First off, the RT is much more pure tablet, and that's what I was looking for. I wanted the simple, consumption-focused, app-centric view that RT provides. I find it mildly annoying when some apps takes me to desktop mode, as the experience always contains hints of the old world, like a stereo receiver with a big manual dial that has a motor to turn it when you press the volume button on your remote. Oh. Which is awesome, actually. Uh, next, I am a developer, and when I want to develop, I want multiple large monitors and lots of resources to make me productive. If I needed a portable developer experience, I would rather invest in a high-end Ultrabook with a 15-inch screen. In my opinion, the 10-inch screen is just too small for high-density UIs, like Studio. I can't agree with you there, John. 
Uh, third, I was disappointed at, at first when my Surface didn't have 4G, and for the first month or so, I lived without it. Then I had a duh moment when I realized I could use internet sharing on my Lumia 900. It works perfectly. It is unusual to be somewhere without Wi-Fi, but when it happens, I always have my phone. And as an added bonus, I save 10 bucks a month my carrier would charge for an additional device. At this point, I would never bother to buy a tablet with built-in 4G, which I think is really interesting that... You know, we used to just want to have everything have its own mobile chipset, but internet sharing on WinPhone rocks. I was thinking when you said that, I was thinking, I don't always tether, but when I do, I tether with WinPhone. <laughs> but it's a fair point because most of the tethering software, even on Android too, I find it really annoying in comparison to it just works on WinPhone. I agree. Uh, finishing off with John here. In any event, I like the direction that Microsoft has gone with Windows 8, and I like the commitment to excellent hardware that is evidenced by the Surface. Richard and Carl, keep up the good work, and thanks for an ongoing and exceptional interviews. Oh, great. And here on the Tablet Show as well. Who knew? Yeah, who knew? John, thanks so much for your comments. A coveted Tablet Show mug is on its way to you, and if you'd like a Tablet Show mug, just write a comment on the website at thetabletshow.com. Hey, is this a good place to talk about angle brackets, the conference Scott Hanselman is doing and, uh, with, you know, alongside Dev Intersection? Absolutely. If you're listening to this show, you're probably a mobile or tablet oriented developer, certainly dealing with the new user interfaces, touch and all that good stuff. And angle brackets is all about open web and HTML5 is going to be really relevant to folks listening to this show because that's the topic we're doing today. At Dev Intersection, more of the traditional development model. So don't worry if WCF is your world, we still got you covered. And uh, the modern app development models, building with Win8, doing ALM, that's all in Dev Intersection. So you can go to devintersection.com or anglebrackets.org and sign up today. And if you sign up for a pre-con or a post-con along with the main conference, we'll give you a Surface or a Nexus 7. And don't forget to put, and I know it's the tablet show, but if you use the code .NET rocks, what happens? Good things happens and you get 50 bucks off. Awesome. And with that, let me introduce our guest. Colin Bowern has been in the business for quite a long time. He worked at uh, Microsoft Canada and worked with product groups in Redmond. Uh, most notably the Windows Setup Group. And he left uh, to go to officialcommunity.com. This is a website that manages artists such as Keith Richards, Roger Waters, Ted Nugent, and such. And he, they manage their online communities and help with ticket sales and things like that. And now he's with Object Sharp here in Canada and uh, an MVP running the Metro Toronto Users Group. And he does not know the mayor, correct? <laughs> that is correct. And uh, yeah, we'll just breeze right over that absolutely one. good idea <laughs> yeah we'll just breeze right over that but you also have a tesla model s i do yes it's uh one of the best cars of all time and i'm so happy to say i've got almost twenty thousand kilometers on it and you have i heard you saying you we were talking to richard you have car number two yep second car delivered in canada which is awesome right you jumped right on on board i just love that you've got some real mileage on it already and i did not know it was one of the things we talked about that it's an all-up service package you pay an annual fee Yep, absolutely. It's $500 a year and they cover everything except for the tires. So brakes, fluids, filters, it's all done, all thought of. It's yeah, not like there's a lot of oil changes for an electric car either. No, but it's that it's that rethinking the industry thing. You know, sure. they're really challenging the way we've done it before and saying, hey, let's think outside the box and really kind of focus on something that's consumer friendly. You nailed it. You said like brakes and things like the, the brake that that's really the where the moving parts are, right? Yep. Yeah, the brakes, the tires, and uh, there's not a whole lot else in it. It's yeah. all computers and sensors. So who does the actual servicing? 
So they've uh, got a number of service centers across the country. They're building a couple of more, but they also have ranger service where they'll come to you for an extra $100 a visit. So the, the guys in Winnipeg, they're covered. Nice, because they're not probably going to have a service center anytime soon. But I presume we're in Metro Toronto, so yep. I imagine there is one here. Yeah, there is out by the airport, and they're actually uh, growing so quickly. They're looking for a new location because they can't wow. fit enough cars in there. So you have the the Model S, the second one now. Um, was this? I, I don't remember the history. Was this before or after they decided to scrap the one that with a low end mileage? So yeah, they've uh, they had the Roadster, which was always the the high priced, low volume kind of research. Let's figure out this technology car. Yeah, the S is kind of your mid priced mid volume car, where they learn about manufacturing and uh, sales and distribution at a larger scale. Next up will be the Model X next year, which is an SUV, where they rebuild and reuse the platform. And then the year, a uh, couple of years after that, will be the Model E, which will be the thirty to forty thousand dollar version. But in the Model S, didn't they scrap one uh, version of that that had fewer miles than the app? Oh yeah, yeah. They, yeah. Yeah, battery wise, they battery wise. Uh, yeah they you know they just weren't seeing the sales there, so they made right. the call and said, you know what, if you really want that low, we'll give you the bigger battery, but we'll software so limit you have it. The one with the bigger battery. I, I went all out, signature all out. edition, fully loaded. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. I want to be able to drive to Microsoft and back from Vancouver on yeah. one charge. I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And you'll have lots of superchargers up and down the uh, coast there over the next year or so that yeah. will make that so much more possible. You can go right down to California. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. But we got to talk about HTML and the enterprise. I, I, or we'll end up doing a Tesla show. I know, I know we will. <laughs> hey, Tesla's got a web browser in it. It's, uh, you know, it's a driving tablet and a 3G connection. And an API. And an it? API, yeah. A, a REST API and everything. Oh, that's crazy. We really could do a tablet show on this car. <laughs> so talk a bit. I mean, you've had an interesting career. You've been in and out of all sorts of things. Yeah. And we've already had a few conversations offline about this, but you've got very strong opinions around the role of web in enterprise. To start from the beginning, what are you thinking? Yeah. So, so you know, I think, you know, back in the day, people got into the web application world because they were looking at a simple distribution model. I don't have to roll out executables to desktops. I don't have to manage group policy. And especially Windows developers who are suffering badly with that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and IT pros that kept pushing back every time you had to do a new build. So like, let's, hey, let's go to this web thing. You know, I can just give you a web browser and you can just point to these multiple applications. And then on the other side, I, you know, I, I don't know how, how well people thought out the decision in terms of the impact because the trade-off with going to the web, uh, there was this, this whole model where the web was actually speeding up in terms of its development. And, and, and so what we now have is we've got modern web browsers, but we get these apps that were written years ago that haven't been maintained. Mm. And we're, we're in this kind of stuck point between old brow or old apps for old browsers and uh, new technology that's trying to not to say IE6. Unfortunately, IE6, it's still out there. I see it. <laughs> it it's crazy. Um, you know, but we're 300 and so some number of days away from the death of IE6 officially. Right. Um, and death being they are not going to support it no, anymore. No security patches, no nothing. You can't even pay them for support at this point. Right, right. I mean, it's been so long. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been almost 10 years of IE6. Well, so the numbers are pretty low now. I mean, it's in a couple of percentage points, nothing so more. They're going to go out and register ie6support.com <laughs> right now. There's so, an idea. So it, you got to kind of take some of those numbers, though, with a grain of salt. They're right. low a lot of it on the public side, but not necessarily on the private side. You've got to think right. behind the firewall in the corporate environment where things are kind of controlled. And you're still going to see a lot of IE6, 7, and 8, for example, out there, whereas the modern web has moved on to 9 and 10 and later this year, 11. And isn't that just XP pre-SP1 instances or SP2 instances still flying around? In, in some cases it is. In some cases 
cases, again, I go back to it's the apps. So right. you got corporations running old ERP systems that were web-based. And they, and they were, only work in IE6. And they only work in IE6, whether it's ActiveX controls, whether it's, it's you that, know, kind of poorly that crafted. version of CSS that they shipped ahead of the standard. Yep. Yep, and exactly. Yeah, and got implemented other ways. I mean, in my mind, the real sin that Microsoft had around IE6 was that they stopped development after that well, for so long. They they did, but also you got to remember though that the competition around them didn't really start until a couple years later. I mean, right. Safari came around 2003, Firefox around 2004, and we haven't we didn't see Chrome until 2008. Right. So it's only really in the last couple of years that competition heated up and the web started to evolve again. Mm -hmm. And this is where people kind of got stuck between a rock and a hard place. When I built something for VB6, I could build it once and it can run forever. In fact, you're supported through till I think 2023 with the runtime. Right. It's shipped right in Win 8. Yeah. I and love that it shipped in Win 8. But you don't have to change the app. But in the web world, we've kind of made a statement that the web has moved on. Right. And and all these companies that built these web apps are sitting on these apps where they've got a major engineering effort to now bring it up to par because the web world has changed drastically mm -hmm. in the last five years. Isn't it funny how the web, it's ironic that, you know, the web was supposed to be, you know, malleable and easy to change and easy to deploy and all this stuff. And, and we're stuck with, you know, with this browser version. Yeah. Whereas in VB6, which was considered difficult to deploy and all of this stuff. Yeah. So, so some of that, if you look at kind of the root cause of some of that and you're looking at some of these old apps, part of that's also the way people built it. And so tomorrow at DevTeach, when I talk a little bit about this, a lot of what I'm going to talk about is getting back to basics, building around standards, using validators, right. good form, proper form. Because when you look at some of these apps, especially these older apps, you'll right click view source and go, oh my God. Yeah. What the heck were they what thinking? That? Yeah. I am in table hell. <laughs> Netscape 2.1 is haunting me. Yeah. <laughs> script tags with VB script still kicking around in it. Oh, you're really you know. scaring me. I was just yeah. talking about tables, yeah. Matt. Don't pull yeah. a VB script on me. <laughs> So, so, you know, we've got this kind of, we're caught between a rock and a hard place as developers. We want to move on. The corporate world wants to move on because they want to get out of into more secure browser and support more modern things. But they've got these older apps, which aren't as easy to upgrade. You got a big old ERP system. You're not just going to flip in the latest version and hit upgrade on it because you've got a lot of business logic and customization built in. So even in small businesses, yeah. I found, you know, hospitals, the doctor's offices, they have something that works. They have no incentive to change. They're in for a rough route awakening. Absolutely. So how do you get up there as a developer? How do you get up there as a business? And and so, you know, there, there's, there's the good news is, is the web has been thinking about this. Mm -hmm. And the nice thing about the web in a lot of ways is that the number of smart people kind of focused on this problem over the last couple of years has grown exponentially. And so we've got the advent of things like polyfills where we can go ahead and plug support for newer features into older browsers. We've got this, this mantra of feature detection over browser detection. Right. So that, you know, we're getting away from the, I've got to test a bazillion different combinations of browsers. If IE7. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're trying to get away from that if IE7 stuff. And, and on top of that, we're also starting to allow ourselves as web developers to say, it's okay if you run an older browser that this isn't going to work 100%. Right. You know, so there's some core functionality and we're going to degradate some of the functionality to say, well, if you're on those older browsers, you're not going to see some of the enhanced stuff. Yep. And we've, we've kind of developed ways to engineer that in a, a, a fashion that won't be halting from a user experience perspective. But I also think the mobile smartphone revolution has helped 
web in the enterprise so much just because the quality of the browser is consistently high. Yep. You just don't, there is no IE6 for a phone right now. Well, and, and they've actually almost forced the issue because you go into any corporation right now, you can guarantee somebody's got, whether it's an iPad or a Surface or an Android tablet, somebody's carrying a device with a modern browser in right. it, accessing those applications. And it's usually a senior person in the organization too. It's nothing yeah. better than a CTO with a tablet. It's been fantastic for actually from a web dev perspective because it gives you the justification to say we actually need to go back and look at how we make an investment in some of these older apps. And you feel like the webs, when it comes to those kinds of devices, it's better web than native? Um, you know, that's that's up to for debate. So w the other side, you know, what we liked about the web on the desktop is this idea of choice around browser. Right. And, and you know, letting the best browser win. What we're seeing on the, the mobile de uh, device, whether it's a phone or a tablet side, is we're actually seeing a lot of lock-in. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's actually presenting a different set of problems. When I buy an iPad, I'm getting the WebKit browser, whether I like it or not. Right. And, and WebKit's fragmenting now. Like, yep. WebKit in the form of Safari is one thing. WebKit in the form of Opera is another. Yep. And now that Google's moving away from it as part of their Blink engine, um, you know, WebKit, you know, is not the holy grail anymore of web right. development. And so we're actually being presented with a new challenge. And this is where standards and, and interop testing and some of the vendor work is, is becoming increasingly important. And the good news is, is they recognize it and they're making heavy investments in that. So I get that, you know, we need to start over in many cases. But what about situations where we've got, you know, like an ERP system, you don't just scrap it and and, and start over. Do you have any advice for, you know, integrating our old stuff into the new? Yeah, so so we've seen a, a couple of uh, interesting technologies come out in the last uh, um, couple of years to try and solve that problem because there are going to be apps out there that just simply won't move for whatever right. reason. Um, and so um, you know the, the most prominent one was Chrome Frame when Google came out and said we're just going to you know wrap you know give you and have your i six, but when you go to a modern site, we're mm -hmm. going to inject the Chrome engine in. And uh, a lot of people kind of got scared of that at first. Right. It's like oh the Googleplex is coming after <laughs> after my browser. It's a and, brilliant solution though. But it, it is. And so actually, we saw another company called Browsium uh, jump on board with that and follow a similar sort of uh, a model where they, they'll, you know, through a policy driven enterprise managed approach to allow you to say, oh, if you're going to hit this URL, use the i6 rendering engine. Mm. And then within the Microsoft camp, you've got AppV, which they've been kind of pushing mostly on the enterprise side, unfortunately, not as much down to the uh, consumer desktop side. But some of the little rumblings out of Redmond is they're building some data centers across the ocean uh, to offer AppV as a kind of a hosted service, which so would be very interesting. applications? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So you can imagine there, you know, that IE6 only pops up for that application and it only runs the bits necessary on the desktop, but you could be running a full modern Windows 8 desktop. Yeah, God, the irony yeah. is just unbelievable so we're the bottom line is we're not going to get away from some of those apps until they you truly evolve beyond those apps but we've got solutions that allow you to continue to support those in environments they were built for but allowing the rest of the desktop to move on wrapping them tighter and tighter in, in safe packages i mean like you said in less than a year ie6 no more security patches yep but anybody still running ie6 if you're inside of these app v containers it's just not exposed to the world in there yeah and, or and, even if it is yep. you're only manualing a little virtual uh, virtualization space yeah so there's there's a real risk reduction on on that uh, front as well so it allows those companies to not have to make some of those tough decisions especially in this economy where you know to face it to go out and say okay we're going to go spend 20 million dollars replacing an app it's not going to so fly you see these more as a as a band-aid while we're developing uh, an all-new system, we can at least run the old stuff. 
Yeah, yeah well, it, partly a band-aid to kind of keep us held over, but also as we see mobile and, and other uh, ways of working become more pervasive, you know, it's not going to be probably in some cases upgrading some of these apps. It's actually going to be looking for new ways sure. to perform that function. And so this won't be upgrading some ERP suite version 5 to version 15. It'll be, oh, we're going to a cloud-hosted ERP suite at some mm-hmm. point in the future. I, I also see the, the demand for mobile and tablet you're going to build new clients that come at that data a totally different way. Absolutely. Take those old systems, put an API on it, and then write a, a native mobile app or mm-hmm. a, a mobile web experience. You know, so there's other ways of approaching the problem from simply upgrading it. But in the meantime, we need to contain it, support it, um, and then allow the developers to move on. Yeah, I like the idea that you just you never take it away from anyone. You just let it wither. Yeah. Though one day nobody used that app anymore because all these other alternatives became prevalent. They were the preferred ways to go about things. Yeah. And we can have social services for those who still wish to run <laughs> IE6. Yeah, absolutely. It's not about technology. It's yeah. about, we need to convince you to move on, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. This portion of the Tablet Show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems. All of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting the Tablet Show. I mean, I think I'm pretty impressed with modern browsers. They're all, we're starting to think of them in terms of smart clients. What do you think about stuff like single page application as a development pattern in the enterprise? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's come of age. You know, again, this is, you know, you put enough smart people on the problem and we see things like faster JavaScript engines, more capable, um, you know, kind of runtimes on, on the client. And this just becomes yet another environment. I mean, uh, you know, I try and tell people there's two languages you need to know in today's day and age, C sharp and JavaScript. And with that, <laughs> you can rule the world. Yeah. It's pretty uh, much everything. Yeah. And so, so I, I think it's really great and interesting because the browsers moved beyond this static page server-driven content into much more interactive and rich applications. And we saw that with the era of Ajax, which ironically had been around for years, um, you know, finally breaking through on the web. Uh, But now we're seeing it to a much greater degree because people are truly building rich applications. And so you look at what people are doing just even on the mobile side with PhoneGap, for example, Mm -hmm. you know, using JavaScript and HTML or Windows 8, you know, kind of driving it out. Well, all that power and knowledge is also still there inside the browser. So you can do that without any of those, uh, you know, kind of form factor specific pieces. You can just do it on the modern desktop with Chrome or Firefox or or IE10 and and, uh, create really rich, wonderful applications. But uh, does that get us into the enterprise? 
It does in some ways because you're already seeing certain vendors in the SaaS space starting to push that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so the enterprise is starting to open up to, you know, in, in my feeling, kind of more modern browsers because they want for access to- For line of to, business apps? For line of business apps yeah. because they want access to, um, you know, kind of that rich functionality that they can't get inside. And so I look at um, things like, you know, in the Oracle world, NetSuite or Zero, mm-hmm. which is an accounting package out of uh, New Zealand. Um, you know, there's some great apps coming out there that are entirely web-based that are driven at the enterprise, driven at them as line of business and are hosted. And, and a lot of them are trying to say, look, no, we're, we're, we're going to stay on a modern curve here. We're not going to go back and support IE6. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep a limited range because there's cost associated to us. And we're trying to keep our subscription revenue above, uh, above water. What about the security models? I mean, we've always had secure web sort of, but is it secure enough for enterprise? Is it, in the end, are we just going to count on TLS? Is that all there is? There, so acronym, please. Uh, transport layer security. There you go. Yeah, you yeah. pulled it up faster than I could. The other name for SSL for most folks, actually. Yeah, yeah, SSL 3.1, also known as TLS. TLS. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, um, you know, TLS is a great kind of transport level security. It keeps everything encrypted for across the wire. When it comes to cloud hosted apps, there's another aspect that businesses worry about, which is where's my data sitting? How right. safe and secure is it? Which has got nothing to do with the HTML5 part, actually. It's, that's always a problem. It's a problem with ASPs as well. Yeah, exactly. So, so I think that part, you know, if you look at what, what some of the data centers, uh, like, and, and the hosting providers like Amazon and, and, and Windows, uh, Azure have done. Uh, they've solved a lot of that problem. They're PCI compliant, they're HIPAA mm-hmm. compliant, and so on. So we go back to kind of what's happening with your data and how safe is your data. Well, the other side that's kind of happening on the web side is some of the authentication and authorization pieces. Mm-hmm. And so we're moving away from this concept of uh, you know every pa- every application having a username and password to federated identity, right. and eventually to extension of things like your directory with uh, the latest Windows Azure Active Directory right, offerings. Yeah. So in fact, actually, from an enterprise perspective, this is just an app that I would normally run in my data center. It's just running in another data center. Right. And so I get all the fine grained access and authorization controls, um, you know, basically delegated out to the application that offers me the ability to say when employee X quits, suddenly, you know, that app is no longer available to them, regardless of uh, where they're accessing it from. Where do third party authentication things like, you know, your Microsoft Live ID, your Facebook ID, whatever, what place do those have, if any, in the enterprise? So in the enterprise, um, so not so much from a, you're not going to be logging into your enterprise app with your Facebook ID, but some of the underlying technology OAuth is being evolved into something called OpenID Connect. And that's going to be effectively the new SAML um, uh, if you will, that's, that's being used to do that federated authentication. So it simplifies this, um, you know, what's been affectionately called the WS Death Star of specifications, which are, right, you know, sure. tri- you know, greatly flexible. We, we but spent a lot of time back in those, yeah, back. You know, everybody remembers them quite well. So but the, the, the real, the, the thing is though, is it, is there demand from users to want to log in with their Facebook accounts to their corporate, uh, so no, Software. not not on the social side. No, no, there's there's not a lot of that, but there is demand from corporate IT to to federate some of the identity because sure. they are ultimately responsible for data protection and privacy. So you basically take the same idea and just instead of putting in your Facebook login, you know, you have your your, corporate your one login. corporate login, and yep. then you, whatever you're logged into federates from there. Yeah. So if you're selling in, you know, kind of web into the enterprise today, whether it's hosted or on prem, the idea that you're using the the enterprise. Um, access control systems 
that's that's kind of standard par for the course. And you saw that as recently with Dropbox enabling SAML, for example. They saw it as a big right. barrier to getting into the enterprise. Yeah, well, they're, they're modern enterprises are starting to depend on that stuff. But I also appreciate that WS Star is going the way of Corba. Yep. Like it, it overcomplicated things to the point now where we're simply walking away from it. And there's only certain bits that are persisting. And we're finding simpler alternatives everywhere. I mean, it's exciting to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, what the web has actually done is say that, you know, we can do things in a simple fashion. You know, HTTP has become a dominant protocol for doing APIs on. And it no also longer... seems like XML has become the enemy. Yeah, yeah. JSON certainly taken over, you know, in favor of, uh, you know, trying to be a little more lightweight, a little less you know, coupled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's, that's a good thing. We're finding balance. And, you know, we may go a little too far in one direction with a couple of these protocols, but, you know, we're, we're constantly trying to find balance. Have you put any cycles into looking at some of the two-factor authentication st- schemes that are going around now? I've looked at, uh, I use a YubiKey, okay. uh, which oh, is... You guys uh, got to define that. So, a YubiKey is a little USB key that creates... Well, let's start with yeah. what's a two-factor Sure. So in the security world, um, there's, there's something you know, something you have, and something you are. Those are the three factors of authentication. So something you know is traditionally a password. Um, something you have is it could be a little RSA token that generates a new number every time. It could be a smart card, could be an SSL client certificate. And then something you are is, is fingerprint scanning or, or retina scanning. And, and so, you know, there's been a big push towards adding a second factor to authentication because quite frankly, I can write a password down. I share it. And chances are I use the same password in multiple places. We have enough research that shows that. Yeah. And so a lot of web properties in the public side, um, have started to move towards, uh, two factor authentication, most notably using, uh, SMS, uh, or in Microsoft count, uh, side as well. They'll, they'll actually call you on a landline as well to kind of give you a code and you enter that code in. It proves that, you know, oh, you have a phone in your hand as well as that password. So at the basic level, they do this now with email that will send you a, an email confirmation it could, because at least we know that if I send you an email and you get it, chances are it's you. Yeah, except the, I mean, the, the email side, you know, is still a password protected resource in most cases. Right. So it's a, a complication on the, what I have. Yeah. Yeah. So where's the mobile phone? Every, almost everybody seems to have a mobile phone these days. Right. And the and, main thing is jumping out of band, right? Having one thing dependent on a password because we just can't seem to get away from that. No. Yeah. And one thing dependent on something else. And, and it seems like the text message is the magic one because yeah. it's very hard. I can't easily steal your phone number. I yeah. can I can steal your password and now I can log into your email and I can log into this other thing and I can, you know, we've seen this happen with I can steal your phone. But that's what I need to do is steal your phone also. And you'd have to know the pin on the phone. Right. So well, hopefully if you have a <laughs> pin on your phone. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, ask my daughter. And hopefully that pin isn't the same as your password. <laughs> <laughs> Who would do that? Who would do that? So, so we haven't seen two-factor play as heavily in the enterprise. Um, you know, part of what's nice about uh, some of the the standards like SAML and the forthcoming OpenID Connect is on the authentication side, it's really up to the enterprise to to still enforce that. Mm-hmm. So, from an app perspective, I just say. I'm trusting you, Mr. Enterprise, to authenticate your user in, in whatever way you seem fit. And if you want to do an RSA token or a Spark card or a phone-based authentication, by all means, go for it. And, and what was the qubit device you had? So I, I've got uh, so I've got a YubiKey. YubiKey. Uh, yeah. So it's it's a little USB uh, one-time password generator. So there's a it kind of seeds new passwords every time you press the button, and it's based on a private key 
built in to the wow, cool. uh, the key. And I use it for LastPass, uh, which I use to store all my passwords. Um, so in addition to something I know, my pass, my master password, I have to have the YubiKey on me to log in. Right. So you've basically built two-factor authentication for your password cache. Yeah. And it, it helps me protect probably one of the most valuable assets I have out there, which is my master list of passwords. They say it's a password generator, but obviously there has to be like a little private key encryption going on. Yes, yeah, so when you first set Some it symmetric. up, you've got to you've got to plug it in and and uh, and uh, push the button a few times for it to figure out the cycle that it's mm-hmm. running on, and then it syncs up the whatever that that private portion of that key is. Wow. Um, you know, and it, it just works like magic. It's great. You know, and and it gives me that assurity that nobody can. You know, even if you were standing over me and figured out my you know 35 character master password mm-hmm. um you know you're not going to take away uh, my mas- my master password awesome. list all right i want to jump back to a topic we we addressed early on in this because we've been pretty, been pretty positive around the role of browsers and html in the enterprise so yeah. far but as you said in the beginning the whole move towards web in the enterprise was the deployment problem yeah and haven't we cracked the deployment problem? Like deploying smart clients out to workstations now just isn't the pain that it used to be. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent convinced on that. I guess I, I look at, you know, kind of corporate desktop refresh rates and, and the groans when we talk about a new version of Office or mm-hmm. Windows coming out. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of emphasis still put on that kind of standard desktop. And, and, and it, I think what we'll start to see in the next couple of years, especially now that IE's become an auto updating, uh, beast right. in the latest version and Chrome and Chrome, you know, has always been auto updating and Firefox has moved that, that we may finally get past that, at least on the web. And, and we'll hopefully as web developers, really what, what would make it nice for me is we move to the N minus one model, which if you look at, uh, you know, something like jQuery, for example, when it comes to Chrome and Firefox, Fox support, mm-hmm. their now standard policy is N minus one. Right. So the current version and the last version, and that's it. Yeah. And so if we can get this auto updating regime happening with IE next, then then we're really close to being able to say as, as web developers, this is now the new pace and new rhythm that needs to be there. So we can continue to innovate, but also at the same time, um, you know, not have to test, you know, 500 versions of, of various browsers. I think we have a mentality now, bit by bit, we're moving towards this kind of idea of continuous delivery. Yeah. That we we don't have major version numbers of software anymore. We're just always shipping. Now, the, the ironic part is going back to the mobile devices, they're going to become the laggards because you're going to buy that older Android device and they're not going to update that to the latest version as quickly as possible. Well, I think, you know, we can lay that at the feet of the carriers too. If they're going to choose, you know, we're going to quickly show them. If you're not willing to play the game properly where the device stays up to date we can't use you yeah and i I hope that carries through because that's my biggest fear i look at you know the 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 mobile devices and they've got a three-year lifespan and if i'm sitting on a browser that's three years old that's an eternity on the web i also want to see better scheduling of updates and i don't want to have to be forced to wait while my my machine reboots and configures updates when i need that machine yeah, and you'll see with the browsers, and again, Chrome has been a, a great model and steward for that, you know, in terms of the in-place upgrade. You, you probably don't notice when Chrome updates. Yeah, that's exactly what I want. I yeah. don't want to know. I and, don't care. And you just do it. You Firefox just is moving that way. Yeah. Well, they do their updates when they shut down rather than when they start up. Yeah. Duh. Yeah. Yeah. There's an idea. <laughs> and binary differentials, and they've been spending a lot of time on performance engineering to make that process super, super smooth fast. and transparent. You know where I've gotten into trouble is my... 
my main Win 7 dev machine is so stable, it literally runs for months. Yeah. And I've had Chrome windows open for months, and it won't update till they're all closed. Yeah. And I've actually gotten behind on the N-1, yeah. where enough versions have come along where stuff stops working. <laughs> and the correct answer was just to close Chrome. Yeah. And then next time you opened it, it was fine. Yeah. But yeah, a very interesting little problem there. And I, and, it, and I think right now updates on phones are horrendous. Yeah. That, that's the other side of this is I've yet to see an update system for a phone that didn't just stop you in your tracks. Yeah. And I don't know how we're going to solve that particular problem. No. And I, I think that's, that's going to be an interesting challenge for the next couple of years for the web. We've kind of solved the desktop updating problem, but the mobile and tablet issue is, is going to be I almost want to see a mode that is neither on nor off in charging, which is updating. Yeah. You know, that, that might be a nice power mode to have. Something like my Tesla, where when there's an update, it just, I hit a button and while it's charging overnight, it'll, it'll apply the right. latest while, update. While it's charging, yeah. we should, it should be pinging to see if it has updates. And then when it gets enough of a charge overnight, go ahead and update. Yeah. And the funny thing about a phone, a modern smartphone is it knows it's in move, motion. It has a motion sensor. It has, yeah. it knows exactly what's going on with it. When you know nothing's going on with it, I've been put on a table. I've been left alone. Yeah. You know, and I know you're sched- you're in- scheduled into a meeting for the next two hours because I got that too. Yeah. Now's a good time for me to update myself. Or it's three in the morning and every night at three in the morning, you always put me down and plug me in. Yeah. I'm just going to do this, okay? Yeah. Right, while I'm plugged in. Yeah. That's crazy talk, Richard. <laughs> well, it's funny, you know, we, 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 I think we're solving all the world's problems here. We're all over it. Right? Absolutely. If they would just listen to the tablet show. Yeah. <laughs> I still want to go back on this smart client thing because yeah. given the same set of policies, and I do think we're headed this way. I mean, certainly the enterprises I'm working with are doing more DevOps. They're going to do continuous delivery of their own apps. And if they can get there, you know, what, you know, I still feel like we're sacrificing some quality of the clients. It's something that Billy was talking about in the last show. Yep. That, I can still build a better app in WPF than you can in HTML5. Uh, there's always going to be a religious debate on that. So I'm not going to probably address whether, where you, whether you can build a better app, but, um, you, you certainly there's, there, there's always been a push towards delivering apps faster, smoother mm-hmm. in a variety of form factors. And, and, you know, the app stores on the, the clients are going to start to push that. I mean, if I look at Windows 8 today and how it delivers apps, and I imagine that enterprise app store, which I'm capable of doing, um, you know, I can, de- I can deliver those updates a whole lot faster than I could five years ago with system center and MSIs and scheduling and packaging and blah, blah, blah. Um, so you're right. It, there, there'll be a very compelling case for the enterprise to say, you know, maybe I do build a native app and, and you, that's okay. Sure. I also like the idea that we're setting the bar higher. Yeah. If you're going to go native, I want continuous development. I need a seamless upgrade system going on all the time. I want a real app store because I don't think the Corp app store story is good yet. No, it's the, still evolving. It's new, yeah. you know, by, by all means. But, you know, it, it, I, and I like the fact that in a lot of ways, the web has driven up the bar in that sense. Yeah. And I don't want the web to be all encompassing and everything to everyone because then we get lazy and we don't uh, innovate, you know, to have that, that yeah, constant battle. You get battle. IE6 out of that, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if we have that constant kind of friction between native and, and web, it challenges both of us to be better. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that's why I like multiple browsers. That's why I like competition because at the end of the day as a developer, um, I win. I do think there's a problem with browsers on the phones and not having competition there. That it, yep. it is going to be an issue. Absolutely. And not just the carriers sabotaging Android, but in, you know, I think the iPhone's a problem. I think, uh, and I think even Microsoft's a problem here too. I mean, there's not a lot of WinPhone 8s out there, but it is not easy to get Chrome on WinPhone 8. 
Yeah, yeah. The I mean, you know, that's the, like I say that that's probably our next big challenge mm-hmm. as a, as a, a web community is really kind of calling the vendors out on that. And this isn't a carrier issue in a lot of cases. It goes back to even Microsoft yep. right. allowing that on WinPhone or Google on Android uh, or Apple on on iOS. You know, the competition is good, especially in the web space. We've learned that, and uh, you know, I'm hoping that that you know the 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 tablet manufacturers and the, and the 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 mobile phone manufacturers see that and start to allow that to ship agents for each of those devices out there. Don't these guys get together and at least agree to support standards? They do. um, But standards are kind of a tricky thing. They're, they're left to interpretation. And, and we're now like in the last couple of years building interop suites so that when we say, um, you know, margin zero, it means this part of the box model, not this part as IE famously uh, screwed up a number of years ago. Uh, In, in some ways, actually, I think they got it more right than others, but. You know, history is history. Or now you talk about religious <laughs> debates. You're going to a dark place. <laughs> but you know, it, it, it's yeah. It, it'll be it'll be interesting to see where where it goes. I'm still wrestling with the great enterprise app for tablets, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know where you fall on this. Like, is that should that be a native app, or is actually HTML going to have an advantage to building these great enterprise apps for tablets? I'd love to say I know the answer to that. I'm struggling myself, yeah. you know, because I, I see compelling cases on both sides. And especially when you get things like, uh, you know, the phone gaps of the world trying to close the the loop on that. That's supposed to be a temporary solution until HTML gets better. Like for me, when we really talk about like collaborative apps with tablets, where two tablets are sitting face to face on the, on a table surface, the gestures, the flicks and things become incredibly important. And, and HTML is just not good at that yet. No, it's not, but they are starting to open up to that. We're getting a lot more touch-centric uh, uh, events that we can uh, jump onto and, and recognize, and that's that's you know really starting to make really capable touch apps on the web. Um, but uh, yeah, no, there'll, there'll always be that kind of catch-up, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, the web is trying, you know, it's the 80-20 rule. They're yeah. trying to solve most of the problems and not be specific to any one device. You know, in some ways, it's sort of the Microsoft model of all the vendors having to play nice to support one ideal experience yeah and uh you know that was that's what windows is you know if you think about it the in the 80s that's the the problems they were trying to solve were exactly that trying to get all the vendors to play together and uh now it's for the web yep i just see a little irony there it's very interesting yeah yeah no the web is is the great democratizer you know anybody anywhere can start up a web page start up a web app and be instantly accessible to millions and that's exciting yeah. Now, like you said, in the 80s, solving that device driver problem, now we need to solve, it's really still a device driver problem. I need my web page to be able to use the front camera, to use the microphones, to utilize all the features inside of that tablet so that we build the best experience we can. Yep. And not have a million layers, you know, getting in the way of it. Yep. Yeah, it's coming. And this is why it's important to keep those browsers up to date so we can benefit from the innovation happening at a faster pace. Colin Bauer, and thank you very much. Not a problem. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, and you'll have to take us for a ride in your Tesla. Will do. Thanks. All right. We'll see you next time on The Tablet Show. It's not too much, but it means a lot. Just try.